Well, this is a happy, sad day for me. You know, our church is a church that has a vision for the whole world. Uh, we can't go everywhere, but we can go somewhere. We can go as far as our money will take us, as far as mission trips that we can go on, and as far as missionaries from our church that go out to the nations of the world will go. And there happens to be one that's leaving. Abby is getting ready to launch out. She's going across America for about a month and a half, back here about a week, and then going to Australia. And uh, uh, so we are very, very proud of her. But uh, give her a big hand. She's been leading in praise and worship several years. And we're just very, very proud of her. And uh, I'm, like I said, I'm happy that she's going, but I'm sad she's going too because she just adds so much to our worship. I've been trying to find her a husband now for about six months. So look, if you're out there, it, time is running out. Am I embarrassing you? Yes. Good. <laughs> anyway, she's, gonna, she's, she's leaving pretty quick here, but she'll have a little table after church in the lobby. You got some CDs. If you want to just get a CD or just give her something to bless her in her, in her ministry, it'd be a great honor because uh, we love her, and she's going to make a difference. Well, we ask you to bless Abby. We just thank you, Lord, for these last few years, and we trust you, Lord, that what her parents and her family and church families put into her, Lord, is going to bring fruit around this world. So we bless her today in Jesus' name. Lord, let good things follow her. Let her fruit be multiplied. Lord, let her make a, make a great impact in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Give her one more big hand. We love you. Well, turn your Bibles this morning. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And as you're making your way there, I want to read a headline uh, that caught my eye. Uh, it was in the Star Tribune in Minnesota. It said, St. Paul couple end up in hospital after risking their lives to save the TV from the fire. <laughs> Big headline. I mean, these, this couple, of course, the firemen, when they went in there to, to rescue them, smoke billowing out of the building, here he is choking but yet unplugging the, the, uh, the wires on his new HD TV. Now, that's kind of funny, but it's kind of a, a, a serious thought there. I want you to imagine that this guy and his wife had just gone to Best Buy, and uh, I mean 50-inch TV, they got a Blu-ray, you know, a DVD player, they got a big sound bar, I mean, they are rocking. They go out to get something to eat, and they're coming back home, and they're going to their apartment, and as they make the curve in, they see that smoke is coming out of the apartment, and they're freaking out, oh, our TV, our TV, and the woman says, go get it, and she says, get down, get down, because... You can breathe better if you're crawling <coughs> up to get it. Get it, get it, get it. And he comes out of the house. <coughs> There's something more important than the TV. His turkey decoy. I'm a turkey hunter if you hadn't figured that out. But look, now doesn't she look good? This is what turkey season's about, attracting stupid, stupid guy turkeys. And she just looks at him and she just, you know, and she said, hey, come on, see me. And. Anyway, he's in the refrigerator. Well, now that's kind of funny. I hope I don't smoke us out here too bad. That's kind of funny. You may not run in a, run in a burning house to get your TV. I mean, even the fire marshal said that uh, you never risk your life for material things. But what if it was a person? What if next door to your home is a, a neighbor? Uh, you get up in the morning on the way to work. You see smoke billowing out of their house. Uh, you know they're inside, and uh, a couple people gathered in the yard, they're inside there. But most importantly, you know they're not a Christian. And you know that if they die, they could have a Christless eternity. You might be compelled to go in that house. 
you might be compelled to ask someone else to call 911, but you would be willing to risk your life. And there's a difference between a TV and a person. A TV is in the material world. I mean, no, people are in the spiritual world. And it's the spiritual world that has eternal value, not the material world. But it's a balancing act that we have to do as believers between the material and the spiritual. You may not go after the TV, but sometimes in our own Christian life, we get so caught up with our careers, our hobbies, our turkey hunting, you know, whatever it may be, that it consumes all our time and all our money with the material things of this world, and we lose balance in our spiritual life because it's almost like the material has taken more precedence in our life, and the spiritual has gone down. And Jesus spoke into this scenario. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, and Jesus said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, Jesus didn't forbid material things or the accumulation of them. Jesus uh, had a life when he was on this earth. He ate. They had homes that they went in. So Jesus is not saying material things are bad, but he said, be careful that you don't get out of balance. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But Jesus said, lay up treasures in heaven. We're going to talk about that. Lay up treasures in heaven where the moth and rust can't destroy it and the thieves can't break in and steal it. And then he said something most profound. Where your treasure is, yeah, there your heart will be also. And we as a Christian people try to live by the first commandment, which is to what? Love the Lord with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. So we clearly, if this is the spiritual side, we want to be, we want to be uh, our spiritual side to be up, and we don't want to allow the material side to control our lives. We want to find the balance between the two. The, verse 24 of the Amplified New Testament says this, No man can serve two masters. The master here is a slave owner that required total allegiance. And what Jesus is saying then, you cannot be serving material things and spiritual things equally because one of them is going to be your master. Uh, it's, it's, you, you can no more do that than you could have two full-time jobs at the same time. Now, how many know you can work a morning shift and an evening shift, but you can't have two full-time morning shift jobs? It's just impossible to do. You've seen funny movies about people that have tried, but you can't do it. And Jesus said you can't have a priority of the material and the spiritual at the same time. And then he said this, he said, you're either going to hate the one and love the other, or you'll stand by and be devoted to one and despise the other. Now, this word hate doesn't mean it's not like an anger-filled term, but it means you can't neglect or choose. Think about it that way. So Jesus is saying is you either have to choose that God's going to be first and the material is second. You either have to neglect the material and choose God, or you neglect God and choose the material. And that's kind of the balance that we're looking for in our lives. Um, it's, how many know it's hard to live a spiritual life in a material world? It is. It's hard for me. It's hard for me. I live in a world just like you where there never seems to be enough. I mean, there's always enough food. There's, I mean, it is enough, but it's never enough. There's always a list of some things that we'd like to have. And we don't ever want to get to the place to where money's become more important than God. So we need is what I'm going to call in this new series a balancing act. And there's a, there's a picture. I'm going to try to illustrate this. If you can see this picture, actually, this is a literal photo. You see this guy. Now, he's not in, in, in real life uh, having the material and spiritual. But this is a guy. His name is Nick Walenda. And back in June of 2012, he's 33 years of age. He took 25 minutes to go over Niagara Falls. 
the tallest waterfall in North America, 200 feet on the, above the falls, 25 minutes to go across it. And the way he did it, it was gale force winds. The way he did it, there's even a YouTube on it. He had to take this pole and he literally balanced himself as he went across. And I want to suggest to you, if your life is like that 25-minute trip across Niagara Falls, we want to be able to balance our material world and our spiritual world. We want to be able to live in this world. And look, how many know it takes money and lots of money to live? It takes more money to live today than it used to because the way our government is printing funny money and our dollar is worth less. Have you ever wondered why in the world you used to get a hamburger and a Coke and fries for $2.99 and today it's $10.99 or $12 when you get out? It's because our money's worth less, because our government is deflating our money. They're just printing our money, and it's becoming more and more worthless. But I'm like you. I've got a 14-year-old. She said, uh, Daddy, I want to be a cheerleader. Well, how many know to be a cheerleader? You've got to pay big money to be a cheerleader. So she made it, praise the Lord. But this week, I need $150. In youth camp, I need, uh, they, they, we've got about 60, 70 kids today that are in Florida doing spring break with Jesus rather than some crazy part of the world. But guess what? She said, Dad, uh, youth camp, $200. And oh, by the way, Dad, I need some, I need some pictures. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm running track now, Dad. And we're taking pictures already, so I need $28 for that. I live in the same world that you live in. So it's not that we love money because we need money, but we want to be careful that we don't fall into the money trap. We want to live this balanced life. And that's what I want to help you with in this series is to try to help you find the biblical balance to live in a material world but not be controlled by it. Because here's the truth in this whole series is this. Material things are important. We'll even see that the Bible says that God gives us things to enjoy. So no guilt should be felt when we are able to enjoy nice things in life, when God gives us daily bread. But at the same time, though material things are important, spiritual things are what? They're more important. And that's what we want to kind of talk about in this balancing act. So let's begin this evening or this morning. I want you to go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. In my opinion, these scriptures that we'll look at this morning are probably the, the, bring together the, the greatest balance between the material and the spiritual world about how to use your money but not be used by it uh, in the whole of the Bible. Now, we get a little context first in verse 9 and 10, and then we'll be on to the main verses. 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10, again, we're talking about the balance between material things and spiritual things in the life of a Christian. 1 Timothy 6, verse 9 and 10, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation. And there, that longing to be rich is somewhat of a desire that money is more, becomes more important than God. Rather than my heart's desire being for God, like we sang about today, the way we live our life is our heart's desire is for money and things. But people who long for that fall into what? Temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires, now listen to this, that plunge them into what? Ruin and destruction. So in other words... If you're not careful, you can be pulled and have your spiritual life destroyed. In verse 10, uh, it says, The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, it doesn't say money is evil. Everybody say praise the Lord for that. But the love of money. Listen, I wish you had more money. I wish I had more money. But I don't want my money to control me, and you don't want yours to control you. But when we love it, that is, and I'll probably come back to this, uh, this uh, verse in the future, but some people who crave money have wandered from the true faith. Now, would you agree with me that that is the greatest mistake a person could ever make? 
Someone that knew God, someone that walked with God, but yet they turned their back on God for something. I mean, it could be, listen, a new turkey decoy, because you do understand there's a brand new paint job they got on this little girl this year. I mean, he's got new legs and everything. I mean, there's, there's a brand new. And you do realize they have new shotguns out now, come on, that have tension on the trigger. And, of course, you've got to have one. They always have new shotgun shells that are coming out. Come on. And then there's the leases that you've got to go to. And you've got to go to multiple states to take advantage of the season because there's only two weeks to hunt in Arkansas. You understand fully what I'm talking about, don't you? You don't have a clue what I'm talking about. I'm just trying to paint a picture how you can be drawn away. Come on. Because how many know if you invest all this money and you invest all this time and you've only got a couple weeks to hunt, you're probably not going to be going to church for several months because you're pursuing a hobby. Now, nothing wrong, I hope, (laughs) nothing wrong with going turkey hunting, but when it begins to control your life, then it's a problem. And that's what he's saying. That's what he's saying, how money can literally cause people to wander from the true faith and pierce yourself with many sorrows. In other words, we would say they're out of balance. Instead of having the spiritual life in control, material things have, have, have grown in control. You see, we've got to come to grips that if our life gets out of balance, there'll be disastrous consequences. And let me tell you this. The Bible would not warn us that we could love money if it wasn't possible for us. I find that it, is, it would be easier for me to love money today at 56 than it was when I was 21 like Bethany. When I, was, when, when I was 21, I was in the Navy. I was traveling all over the world. All my possessions fit in two Navy sea bags or suitcases, big green satchels. One of them was filled with Navy stuff. The other one was filled with Christian books. And that's, that's just, just my stuff. I didn't have anything, didn't have a car or a bicycle. But before you know it, you got to get a bicycle. And then if you want to date the preacher's daughter, you can't date her on a bicycle. you got to get a car. And then if you want to take her somewhere, you got to, uh, are you with me today? And none of that stuff is bad, but the older you get, come on, the more money it seems to be necessary in life, and the, uh, the easier it is to be pulled into a trap. Now, the wonderful thing is you can be rich and wealthy and still be humble and serving God, or you could even be poor and love money. So it's not about how much we have, it's about what has our heart. I'm going to talk to you in the days ahead about contentment as a Christian with what we have, not with what we don't have. So the Bible wouldn't say we could love it if it wasn't possible. And here's the dilemma we face. Every one of us need money to live in this world. And every one of us need increasing amounts of money to live because of the nature of the world in which we live in. We need money and we want to enjoy the things it buys. But here's the problem. If material things become more important than spiritual things, it'll destroy our spiritual life. And it's that tension that I want to kind of speak into in this series in the next few weeks called Balancing Act to try to help you properly navigate your, your, your spiritual and your material world. Now, let's look in verse 17. Uh, Paul is going to come back to this very thing. He told Timothy to basically avoid that love of money thing. But then he's going to come back, and this is my opinion where the balance comes in. He's warned us about where the love of money could pull us. But notice what he says. And I'm going to read these three verses, and then we'll come back and talk with them uh, phrase by phrase. Uh, Teach those who are rich in this world. And first, let me say to you that we're all rich. Now, if off the cuff, if I just think about rich, I'm going to think about somebody is rich that has more than I do. 
You're rich if you're driving something nicer than me, if you're living in a bigger house than me. Come on. If you're able to go on more vacations than me, then that makes you rich if you have a larger retirement. But that's not the case. Do you know that uh, the World Bank says that 1.4 billion people, that's about one in five, one in six people, live on a dollar and a quarter a day. The World Bank also says half the world's population lives on less than $4 a day. Now, if you were to just draw this from the pulpit on this side, if we're Americans, and this side, we're half the world. You're just, you don't have anything in the, in the cupboard. You don't have new shoes to wear. You, you've never heard of a TV. You may be able to turn your light on for just a few moments a day unless you live in some kind of communist or socialist nation. Then you might get two or three moments a day. But you, don't, you, don't, you just don't even have the potential. But as the Western world comes and shows you all the things you can and should have, you grow very, very frustrated. It's a very different world. $4 a day. That's a Starbucks. And most people are, are living like... So, so uh, don't, let's not think as we read this scripture, this applies to somebody else. Even, the, even people in poverty today in America, listen, have air conditioners, TVs, uh, phones, uh, some kind of transportation. So this speaks to all of us that are here today. And listen to what he says. The first thing he says is he said, hey, guys, don't be proud. We'll talk about that, how money can make us proud and what that means. Don't trust in your money. This is a very, very interesting thing. Uh, I have to be very aware of this. For example, I want to recognize constantly the source of where my money comes from. My, my, money, my source is not the company or, or the person that signs my check. It's not the debit card or wherever it comes from that debits my bank account. My source is God, and God is using something else. So I want to trust in God because money is, what's it say? Unreliable which means it is ultimately untrustworthy. He goes on to say, Our trust should be in God, and here's a great phrase, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Should I read that one again? Who richly gives us, this is saying God wants to bless us with things to enjoy. So as I go through this, please don't feel any guilt if God has blessed you, if you're able to buy the real thing rather than bling, come on, if you're able to do things other people can't do because of the blessing of the Lord if you're living a balanced life. God is a good father. And just like I want to be able to give Rebecca, I had paid so much money for her and Lynette and I both, she has no clue, she's 14, and I'm trying to teach her about money. And, 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 and I says, honey, we're tapped out. And then she just, five minutes later, she says, could I get a powerhouse t-shirt before I go? And, and do I have to use the money that you just gave me? <laughs> what do you think I did? Gave her more money. <laughs> so, listen, why do I do that? I'm trying to win her affection. No. Yeah. I, I, I... Hey. Hey, you should be up with the kids, huh? Well, maybe I am, but hey, look, when your kids are teenagers, if that's what it takes to get them, give you a hug and a kiss, I mean, you know, you'll do it. You do it because you love them. Well, hey, we've got a heavenly father that loves us too. And that doesn't mean God wants everybody in a Cadillac, but God is a good God. And he gives us things to be able to enjoy. But I want to tell you what, I, enjoy, I have a, a, a financial life much better than I did 25 years ago when we started. Our first little church, Linnell and I took, was in Palestine, Texas. 
We lived in a little rent house. We had to walk through a pretty sketchy neighborhood to get to the church. We had one car, and our date night on Sunday was to go and get something like pizza rolls from the grocery store and heat them up in the oven and dip them in whatever sauce. You know what I'm talking about? And we were loving life and as happy as we could be with a little two-and-a-half-year-old kid running around the house. So contentment and happiness is not based on how much you have. Come on. It's easier to be happy when you have a little bit more. But you can find a contentment in Christ right where you are. So enjoyment is a good thing. I don't have a problem with enjoyment. I, actually, I have a list of things that I'd like to enjoy. How many, how many have, yeah, yeah, sure, have a list of where you'd like to prioritize your money as it comes in? Okay, the rest of them are lying because every one of them does, whether they've written it down or not. But notice what he says, and this is kind of where the balance comes in. Tell them to use their money to do good. And he tells us what doing good is. Being rich in good works, generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. And the promise of verse 19 makes a connection to what you do with your money on this earth to eternal reward. By doing this, they're going to store up treasure as a good foundation for the future so they may experience true life. Now, let's walk through some of this together. And and let me go back through verse 17 first, some of the phrases that we saw. Verse 17, teach those that are rich in this world not to be what? Proud. Don't trust in money, which is unreliable, but trust in God who gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Let's hop through those. There's about five or six phrases there. And the first one is, money can make me proud. Pride has two dimensions there. One is that money can make me self-reliant or independent. I can tell you, friends, most people I've met in this world that are wealthy people, money in the bank, property, and those kind of things, live as if they don't need God. It's some sense of it's a false illusion of security. As long as the plastic works every time it goes through, I'm okay. Now, that's a danger. But another aspect of proud is it can make you feel like you're better than somebody else because you have more than them. Now, how many have been on the receiving end of that? When you drive up in your older car, and they're in their newer car, and they look at you like, you know, kind of down their nose. you got to be careful when you get your newer car, because what you have does not make you better than somebody else. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're amening. Uh, Ezekiel warned about this. Ezekiel 28, 5, he says, By your great skill in trading, you've increased your wealth. That is, because you went to college, because you got the master's, the doctorate degree, you're wealthy. Because you work hard, because you know how to flip houses, because you're an entrepreneur, because both of you are working and you're trying to get ahead, you've increased your wealth, but because of your wealth, your heart has grown proud. And the problem with that, now, not all wealthy people are proud, prideful. We're going to talk about it. And just because you don't have anything, you may love, you may love money more as a poor person than a person who's wealthy. Because it's a matter of the heart. The problem with pride is this. Proverbs 16 says, pride goes. God will pull the rug out from under your feet. Now, here's a great one. Proverbs 22. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is what? How many would like riches, honor, and life? And the rest of you would like poverty, I I must assume. All of us would like riches, honor, and life. And the Bible tells us that there's a way to go there. And it's through being a humble person. And we'll talk about that. A humble person and someone who fears the Lord. Actually, next week, I think I'm going to talk about biblical principles of wealth and prosperity. Uh, It's not a gimmick. It's not a get-rich-quick thing. But there are principles in the Bible that produce wealth in our lives. Uh, The second thing it says is be be careful to trust God and not money. This is something that happens to Christians, and we're not even aware of it. 
it happens kind of like this. Now, I've gone through a lot of life. I've been the pastor here for almost 24 years. You know, paycheck comes on the 15th, you just go and stick it in the bank. 30th, stick it in the bank, and blah, 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 and you're living, and mom gives you a gift, and this person, and all those things, and before you know it, you're just standing in front of the debit machine like that's where the money comes from. Let me tell you what I try to do. Uh, every bank deposit I make, I try to pause and say, Lord, I want to thank you that you gave this to me. I want to thank you, whether it's a dollar, a dime, a hundred, a thousand, a million, well, not a million yet, I'm looking for that. But whatever it is, you stand in front of that machine, and when you put that check in, you say, Lord, you gave it to me. Now, it could have come from my company. It could have come from whatever. It could have come from the government. But wherever it comes from, Lord, you're the one that put this in my hands. So I'm trusting you. You know, on your money, whether it's a coin or a bill, this happens to be a five, Lincoln on one side. On the top side, it says, in God we trust. Now, how do you think that phrase got on there? I'll tell you. The U.S. Mint's web page said that in 1861, a minister, a Christian pastor, wrote a letter to the Treasury Secretary and alluded to this idea that we don't need to trust in money but in God. And then a couple years later, Congress passed legislation that on all the coinage of America, it would have in God we trust. Isn't that, shouldn't that be how our voice is today? In 1907, they made a batch of gold coins, but somebody forgot to put in God we trust. Much like what's happening in today is there's a purging of religion and Christianity. No, not religion, but of Christianity in America today. Well, it's time for the church to stand up and raise our voices. There was such an outcry. There was such an outcry that they, literally, Congress passed more legislation, and then from then on, every coin had in God we trust, and after that, the currency as well. But it came from the outcry of the people and a man or a woman of God standing up and say, come on, God's going to be first and not these coins in our pocket. Somebody give the Lord a, a good hand. Now, remember it said money is unreliable. What does that mean? Proverbs 23, 5, in the blink of an eye, what's it say? Wealth disappears. In the blink of an eye, for it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. Now, you may look at the stock market today, and it's just still going based. I mean, they're just gambling now. And the people that are at the top of the pyramid making money as we continue to work with it. But I remember uh, when I put some money in a number of years ago when I had my retirement, and I got a statement back in three months, and a third of it was gone. <laughs> I mean, no, that's the time you need a new stockbroker. <laughs> Just teasing. It's not their fault. But where did it go? What happened to it? Flew away. And the Bible says that very thing can happen. Uh, the next thing, God is our provider. Even though you're working hard, you've got your degree, here's the deal. You wouldn't have anything without the Lord. There's I, I, another thing I try to do. Every day I try to pray the Lord's Prayer, and it says, give us this day now, now why? why would you pray for daily bread when you've got food in the refrigerator and money in your pocket for lunch? Why would you pray for daily bread? It's because you're trying to recognize that God is the source. Listen, uh, uh, the restaurant is not your source. They may get their food from a truck that comes in. That's not the source. Come on, God is the source. And that's an important thing to realize. Give us day daily bread. That cool part that we said God gives us money to enjoy, and I don't have to feel guilty when I enjoy it. I don't want to be arrogant when I have it, but I don't want to feel like I have to apologize for a new pair of shoes. Are you with me today? Listen, God is a good God, and He wants to bless us. Ecclesiastes 5 says this, When God gives someone... Now, isn't that a cool verse? You ought to put that in the precious promise box. When God gives someone wealth and possessions, what does it say? And the ability to... Yeah. 
This is what? Yeah. So, so wealth comes from God, and it's a, it's, it's a great gift. Now, let's look at verse 18 where the balance comes in. I have no problem with enjoyment. Somebody say praise the Lord. Yeah. Uh, uh, if, if you had an extra $1,000, I could find somewhere to put it to work pretty quick. The, the turkey decoys. Are, are you with me? Turkey guns. I wouldn't have a problem. But here's the balance. Here's the problem for me. I can love it too much. I just bought some gadgets the other day, and I still have gadgets to go on my list. If you're not careful, this can happen in our life. Here's the balance. Verse 18, tell them to use their money to do good. And here's how we do good. We do good by being rich in good works, being generous to those in need, always being ready to share with other people. Now, that's a powerful, powerful thought there. Basically, what it's saying is, Christian, don't use all your money on yourself. Don't use all your money on yourself. Live a good life. Meet your needs. Enjoy yourself. Save some money. Prepare for tomorrow. But also make sure that you're making an investment in helping people and caring for people and expanding the kingdom of God. This is where the balance comes in. This idea of being rich in good works, that's a very broad generic term. And, and let me illustrate it to you. When we say rich in good works, and the context here was they're doing good things with their money. Those kids that are in Florida right now, uh, we prayed for our daughter yesterday, uh, Rebecca, that she's going to have an encounter with God, not just fun on the beach. Well, there's a youth pastor's salary that's involved in that good work. And several years ago, uh, if you know our receptionist, Kimmy, she's the girl on the phone when you call the church. Several years ago when she was in the youth, she didn't want to go to camp. And the reason she didn't want to go, well, I don't have any friends. That was not the reason. The reason was is Jesus was just not her best friend. See, sometimes your kids say, nobody likes me. That's not necessarily the full problem there. But I can tell you, if you get a kid down there alone with Jesus and a bunch of kids worshiping him for three days, they're going to get through that thing. Kimmy comes back up here. We have a big baptismal service, and she brings this sack full of uh, uh, old VCR tapes that she'd recorded soap operas. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? And uh, that were just not really good racy soap operas. And she said, I'm getting rid of this junk, and I'm baptizing them. Come on, in Jesus' name, and I'm coming up somebody watching a little different television. Well, how does that happen? Somebody did some good, come on, with their money, with their tithe. This is what your tithe does. It turns into a bus that takes kids down there to have an encounter with God. You know, your tithe, uh, uh, last night, uh, we bust in 30 homeless people. They come Saturday night service. You know, uh, two or three of them each week will make steps to Christ. Guess what? Your money turned into something good for allow that to happen. See, whatever it is, you may, so, so that's what you can do with your money, is you can do good with your money, uh, good works, rich in good works. Uh, we take, actually, any money that you give undesignated to the church, we take 13% of it. It's our church tithe plus some more, and we invest it in an outreach fund that just goes to do good works in the community and in the world for Jesus. It all has a Jesus edge to it. So our giving turns into good works. He says we're to be generous to those in need. Now, Galatians 2.10 says this. You remember when Paul was being sent by the Jewish leaders to go to the Gentiles? Here's what they said. He said, uh, Paul said, they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So here we got this guy going out to start the mission to the Gentile people around the world. And the Jewish guy says, hey, I want you all to remember poor people. I want, it's the mission of the church. Now, let me say, I'm very grateful to live in America because in America, if you're disabled, if you have a problem with your life, how many know there's a safety net to catch us? The problem is, though, too many people are taking advantage of the safety net. 
See, 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 and our government cannot do that, and our politicians are using these safety net systems to buy votes, come on, and they're creating a dependency in life, so people are trusting the government, come on, rather than trusting in God. They're violating a work ethic. It's just, how many know benevolence should be cared through, through the church? I mean, that's where it started. How many know people will do a better job at helping people and holding them accountable, come on, rather than just passing out the quota? Now, there's a little extra, it's true, but... How to get off on that. We're to be generous to those in need because Matthew 25, remember Matthew 25 when Jesus, it's a picture of the future where we're standing around the throne of God and one day Jesus is going to separate the Christians from the non-Christians and he's going to look at the Christians and he's going to say things like this. When I was hungry, you, where'd you get the food? You got it out of your closet. You bought it at the store. Come on, or you grew it in your garden, but you did something good with it. Jesus said, when I was uh, naked, what did you do? You put clothes on me. Where does clothes come from? Your closet or your Visa card? Come on. Your, your pocketbook. You did something good. I'll tell you something that inspired me, and, and I'm practicing. Remember our friend Larry Myers in Mexico Ministries? He was preaching last uh, November. Well, I wasn't here. I was out of town. But some, there was a, at that particular day, there was a homeless couple that had come. They'd just been married. And, and how many know if you're newly married and, and, and you're in the homeless shelter, you've got a problem? So they come forwards for prayer, and, and they, he prayed for him. and somebody told me, because he didn't say a thing, and nobody knew it publicly, but somebody was watching him pray, and after he prayed for him, he took a $100 bill out of his pocket and just put it in the guy's pocket. Now, that's a good thing. That's exactly what we're talking about here. And something that I'm practicing in my life now, I'm trying to budget in my regular monies, something just to keep in my pocket or my billfold, whether it's a dollar, a five, a ten, a twenty, a hundred, whatever you can afford, but something that's just designated so when the Holy Spirit shows you somebody that's in need, so you can be generous. Because I'm telling you, if you don't think about this and do this in advance, guess what's going to come out? They're going to come out with one of these that turn their heads to the left and to the right. See? And if you're not careful, all your money will be gobbled up and you won't have any to do good. We're to care for other people. Because here's why. When we die, can you agree with me that you can't take anything with you? There were two funerals related to our church yesterday. One was here. One was in Queen City. Someone's mom and grandma died. Both of those, cast, uh, both of those uh, funerals, there was no hearse or there was no U-Haul behind the hearse. It's like whatever you accumulate in this life when you're gone is all left behind. Here's a statement that's made. It was a great missionary. His name was Jim Elliott. He was a missionary to the Aka Indians of Ecuador. They martyred him. And he left America, and he, was, he, he left a fairly prosperous life behind him. But here's what he said, and I'll say it twice. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You are not a fool to be generous, to give, to share, to tithe, to invest in people because you can't take it with you. You are not a fool because you cannot keep those things that you are giving and what you're giving will come back to you. It's a powerful, powerful thought. Let me close with this, verse 19. Verse 19, uh, the sense here is that what I do with my money on earth will affect me in eternity. And it does, it's not implying that you buy your salvation. I mean, no, God doesn't need the paper. You can't buy your way in. There's only one way in is to put your trust in Christ. But verse 19 said this, by doing this or by living this balanced life, by not loving money, by not falling into the trap, but by being generous and sharing, by, by trusting in God, by doing this, you're storing up your treasure. 
Remember the first scripture we read when Jesus said, your treasure on earth or treasure in heaven? You're storing up treasure as a good foundation for the future so you may experience true life. Now this, this the translation of true life, the New King James says, so you may lay hold on eternal life. So actually, when we help people, in other words, when you, uh, when you uh, buy a CD from Abby after church there in the lobby to help her on a missions journey, uh, well, you're helping her, but guess what? You're helping yourself because God is remembering that. When you invest in helping a poor person, a needy person, Jesus even told us when you give to the needy, your father who sees in secret will do what? He'll reward you. So when you do these things, you're not ending up with less. You're ultimately ending up with more. And in your helping other people, you're actually helping yourself. Come on, because as you're living the balanced life, you are storing up treasure for all eternity. And that what God's going to do, He's going to reward us. That's the reward for balanced living. And you know, when God gives us things, this balanced life, and I'm going to close with this. The balanced life is, is a life that's lived. So we're meeting our needs. God gives us daily bread. We've got some to enjoy. And enjoy could mean anything from, you know, buying a pizza at the little Murphy's Pizza place and taking it home and cooking it or, or going out and eating lobster at, you know, wherever the place to go. But somewhere I'm enjoying it. But at the same time, the balanced life is also generous and willing to share. The balanced life also honors God. The balanced life is kingdom-minded. The balanced life helps poor people. See, it's not one or the other, but it's a both and. And it's a life that's lived all our days. And the great reward is God is watching. And the truth of it all is this, friends, that material things, they are important. TV, a turkey detour, whatever, they're important. But spiritual things are more important. And they're more important is because they have a bearing for all eternity. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord today. He's worthy of our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going we're gonna to sing. And, and as we sing, I want to encourage you, don't think about the restaurant just yet. Don't turn off. Because in my opinion, this is probably the most important part of the service. This is the part of the service where you and the Holy Spirit say, now what? See, the worst thing that can happen to you is to listen to a Bible message and hear nothing from God about how it affects your life. The worst thing you can do is just to have gotten some Christian information in your head and live the same way. When I, hear, when I read the Bible, I read this morning from Ezekiel, and it was powerfully impacting to me. When I read the Bible, when I hear the Bible taught, I want it to speak to me, and I want to embrace it in my life. So as she begins to sing this song, I want you to encourage you to just kind of sing. You may want to just bow your heads, but just ask this question. Say, Lord, what are you saying to me about my balancing act? Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake, Lord, have your way. Slip your hands to heaven as we sing it. Lord, have your way in me. Lord, I give you What you're saying is, Lord, I want spiritual things to be more important than material things. I live for you. I want to live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm away. 
Have your way in me, Lord. That's our prayer as we stand before you, before we go on to our lives. Have your way in me. It's what we prayed in the Lord's Prayer. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. I can't influence other people necessarily in what they choose to do, but I can choose, Lord, your way and your kingdom. And I'm going to pray first, Lord, for myself, but for all my friends that are here today, that you help us with this balancing act. Help us not to love money. Help us not to be drawn after riches. Help us not to be consumed by them. Help us not to destroy our spiritual life because somehow we've got out of balance. But Lord, help us to recognize that every good thing we have is from you. Please, Lord, don't let us be prideful to think that we did it and it's, it, it, it's going to take care of us. No, that's your job. It's unreliable. Lord, I pray today that you would help us to enjoy what you give us. Don't let us feel guilty, but let us to enjoy the things that God with a clean conscience has allowed us to do, a, a vacation, a home, a car, whatever it is. I just pray, Lord, that you would give us the ability to enjoy it. Well, Lord, I pray, too, that we would find the balance, that we would be responsible, that we would be rich in good works, Lord, that we would be generous, willing to share, helping people in need, always having maybe something a little extra just when the Holy Spirit prompts us that we say yes, because that's what we want, Lord, the balancing act. We want one day when we stand before you in heaven that there's a thick book filled with pages of our generosity of how we followed you and served you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Before we go, we want to offer a personal prayer as we always do. In my opinion, this is probably the most important part of the service because I know many people come to church, as I do on many occasions, and there's something that you really need God to help you with. There's a real burden that's in your heart. Well, let me tell you, friends, the place to deal with it is in the place of prayer. There may be something in this message that really sparked your heart. You may be having real financial problems and don't know what to do, and, and you just want to say in a fresh way, I just need God to help me get out of this mess that I'm in. Let us pray for you. Uh, it may be something else the Holy Spirit put his finger on. Uh, but if you want prayer, you come on up. You know? And sometimes praying in confidence with people, just saying it kind of gets it out. There's a power in, in our confession of what we say, it, it kind of separating us from things of the world. Uh, yesterday, as I was driving in from the funeral, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me about people that were in need of prayer for their physical healing. The Bible says in the book of James, if any man is sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. They'll anoint with oil, and the prayer of faith, uh, will, uh, the prayer of faith will heal the sick, and if they've committed sins, they'll be forgiven. And uh, I mean, it was, uh, prayer sometimes is much better than a big deductible. And uh, if you're sick and you want prayer and you want exercise faith, we'd be honored to pray for you. But the most important thing I'd like to offer prayer for is, if, is your personal spiritual relationship with God. Maybe you're here today and you're not saved. You, you've never been born again. You're not following Christ. You're religious, but how many know you can be religious and not have a relationship with God? I was religious. I was raised in a church. I learned things like these kids and, uh, here, but, 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 but I knew about Jesus in my head. I never surrendered my life to follow him. I'm telling you, friends, that's the ticket for a spiritual life is surrendering your life to follow Christ. You see, there's something that money cannot buy. I don't care how much money you get. You cannot buy your way into heaven. I mean, no, God doesn't need the paper, and he made the gold, and he'll melt it all one day anyway. He doesn't need any of that stuff. You can't buy your way in. There's only one way to be able to have eternal life, and that's to receive the forgiveness that came from Christ who died on the cross and that you turn to follow him with your life. And maybe today is the day where you want to make that turn to Christ. Maybe today is the day where you want to surrender your life. It might be the first time you've ever prayed a prayer like this, or perhaps you did it in the past. 
We had a gentleman in the last service, coming to church a long time, but something happened in his life and he realized he drifted from God and he made a recommitment of his life to Christ. Maybe that's you. But whatever it is, if you're here today, this is not to join the church. This is for you to put your trust in Christ and for us just to help you make that step. But if you want our prayers today, if you're here today and say, Pastor, I want to get right with God. I need God's saving grace in my life and I want your prayers. Would you just lift your hand real quickly? Let us pray for you. Someone, God bless you, dear. God bless you here. Other people say, pray for me. Pray for me. I, I, I want to put my trust in Christ today. Someone over here. Yeah, God bless you. I see your hand. Yeah, God bless you. I see yours. Give them a big hand. God bless you. Somebody else say, pray for me, Pastor. I want to put my trust in Christ. I, I want to commit my life to Jesus. I, I want to put my trust in Him. You that lifted your hand, come let us pray for you. Come on up let somebody pray for you right around the cross. Come on up, let us pray for you. I'm going to have some people here. Give them one more big hand as they're coming. Thought I saw another hand lifted there. Come on up, let us pray for you. We're going to pray for you. We're going to give you some things that's going to help you in your spiritual life. Come on over here. And I want some young ladies to come with this girl too. Praise the Lord. They'll just meet you right over here at the cross, and they'll pray with you and help you. We're very, very proud of you today. We're going to offer prayer for the rest of us. Have one song and go. But I want our prayer team to come around the altar right now. You need prayer for anything, just come on up with them. There's some men and women that will stand here and take just a couple minutes with you in the place of prayer. You want prayer, you come, as Abby will have the last song. I love you very much. Come let us pray for you tonight. I give you my heart. I give you my soul.